Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. And welcome to the Cyber 24 Podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders like yourselves better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. I'm Marty Carpenter of 24.9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. This week, we talk about what everyone is talking about, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We speak with cybersecurity expert and friend of the pod, Dan Schuyler, to discuss cyber warfare in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. You know, for about two years, there was only one thing that dominated all the headlines, and that was COVID and how it sort of changed life temporarily and permanently in some ways. And I kept thinking there's going to have to be something that takes COVID out of the headlines. Because even when we had like the original sort of end of COVID before the Omicron and uh, what was the one before that? The Delta? Was that what I, I, I lose track of my uh, COVID. There was like this this dip and we had it sort of under control. Then it came back and it occurred to me uh, that nothing really came in to replace the uh, pandemic as the top story. And maybe that was in part why it was still top of mind and came back. Uh, but there's nothing like, you know, war, I suppose, to to dominate the headlines. And we've definitely shifted away from uh, COVID in general to uh, talking about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And that has dominated all of the news for the past several weeks, you know, even before the invasion, as it was a, a buildup to that. And I, I think it's interesting because we have discussed on this show before, and if I'm not mistaken, you and I have discussed on this show before, uh, the Russian... Uh, proclivity for not only meddling in things related to cyber warfare, but doing it specifically with Ukraine, that they've messed with their uh, power grid and such before. And now that appears to be something more like, uh, you know, some some testing and probing to see what they could do when they got in to the situation they're in. So let's talk a little bit about Russia and their cyber warfare and how that sort of factors into their overall. Uh, and with the disclaimer that you know a lot about cybersecurity, uh, neither of us are uh, military experts, but let's, I, I think it's a, an interesting topic to kind of uh, chat through. So from your perspective, Dan, and with your experience, what do we know about some of the cyber warfare tactics that Russia uses generally? What have we seen them do and, and how does that play into what we're seeing happen now or potentially is happening without us even seeing it happen? Yeah, and the disclaimer needs to go uh, as far as to say as well that most of this information is still forthcoming. There's a lot of disinformation out there, and and clearly it's hard, it's difficult to sift through the static. But um, uh, I guess one thing, one point of clarity is Russia, unlike the U.S., doesn't refer to it as cyber warfare. They like to refer to it as information warfare. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, but one thing that Russia does that the U.S. doesn't do or has not done in the past is Russia outsources a lot of its information warfare to uh, hacking groups. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen that time and time again where these hacking groups um, or advanced persistent threat groups have taken 
responsibility for specific attacks against Ukraine, against um, the U.S., et cetera, et cetera. Now, the FSB has become more actively involved, but why invest a lot into an information warfare uh, structure when you can just outsource it to really experienced hackers and and the the thing about Russia and Eastern Europe is they have some of the or they are regarded as some of the world's best hackers and so when you've already got the world's best hackers in your backyard it just makes sense to contract out to them instead of trying to train your FSB personnel and so um the attacks that we've seen have been pretty common. You know, we, we see DDoS attacks. We've, we're seeing, you know, botnet attacks. We're seeing ransomware attacks. And those are those have been very successful attacks, and we'll continue to see those type of attacks um, coming from Russia. Yeah. With what they're doing in Ukraine, are you, uh, as, you know, a, admittedly a casual observer, someone watching from the outside and not involved in the military operations or, you know, working for the State Department or anything, uh, are are you surprised that we've heard less? Uh, have we heard less about cyber attacks or information attacks, as, uh, as the Russians may call it, as they uh, relate to Ukraine at this point, or as uh, there maybe? Is it more likely that, that there's a lot more going on that we don't see? Yeah. So like I said earlier on, the um, extensive amount of information that's been sort of making the rounds makes it difficult to, you know, ascertain um, the validity of any of these attacks um, or attribute them, attribute them to any particular group. Uh, but there, you know, there are there continue to be attacks on Ukraine and the U.S. I mean, the U.S. has seen an increase um, over the last couple of weeks in attacks, specifically DDoS attacks and um, phishing attacks in in an effort to launch a ransomware attack. Um, But as the latter part, as the, the latter part of February, those attacks have increased both on Ukraine and on the U.S. And, and Russia has made it clear that any country that attempts to assist Ukraine, uh, they will be the, well, I shouldn't say Russia. I, sh- I should say these hacking groups that are supporting Russia have made it clear that they will uh, target any country that is assisting Ukraine. And we've already started to see that. Yeah, and we've seen it in reverse too, right? In the early days, in the first couple of days of the Russian invasion into Ukraine, there were uh, relatively public reports that the uh, group Anonymous had essentially declared cyber war on Russia and was going to bring the full force of its collective hacking abilities to go take down um, to, to go take down Russia. And you know, I saw I didn't follow it as closely maybe as you had, but I saw some reports that you know they'd taken over. Uh, state television and we're playing the Ukraine national anthem and, you know, to some respect, trying to break through the Russian information barrier and get information about what was happening in Ukraine to the Russian people 
and and you know on top of that kind of mess with russian infrastructure and wherever they could um so i guess turnabout is fair play to some extent in this that if the russians are going to do what they're going to do uh, it's nice to see it's sort of weird it's i guess this uh anti-hero thing that we've had going on in uh, movies and tv for the last decade that you find yourself cheering for someone you might not always cheer for and i guess in this case uh, if anonymous is doing this then the enemy of my enemy is my friend <laughs> sort of a thing so I, I just would love your thoughts on what Anonymous has done and how that kind of factors in. Well, you make a good point. It's really hard to, to determine, you know, what position a particular hacker is going to take at any point in time. And I think it's we can make the argument that there are um, hacking groups within Russia that probably are not supportive of the attack on Ukraine. Um, just like there are hacking groups that are supporting the government, there are probably hacking groups that are not supportive and are um, combining efforts, if you will, uh, with Anonymous to create havoc and launch attacks against the Russian government. And um, we'll continue to see that. And Anonymous, the, the, uh, the thing about Anonymous is they're global and they recruit people all across the planet. They recruit hackers all across the planet that have a, you know, a like-minded goal with regards to what the particular attack of the day is going to be. And clearly right now it's attacking Russia to uh, create havoc and to slow down the war in Ukraine. Yeah. I suppose it's also possible that since you're sort of dealing with cyber mercenaries to some extent, exactly. that you don't actually know that if the, the people you've recruited to your team, so to speak, are really on your team, your team. or are all yep. the time on your team. So, you know, Russian Russian uh, leaders could have uh, hacking groups that they've sort of, uh, whether employed, paid, encouraged, coerced to help them in their efforts. And, you know, someone sitting at a keyboard and if they're just at their house, they could uh, on, you know, one computer on another computer or on the same computer be working, uh, to do the thing that they're supposed to do and get paid for, but then jump over at lunchtime, so to speak, and, and use access they have to go help a different effort. Like you could be playing for both teams here. There's no real way to know that there's uh loyalty to one side, even by, uh, the group of, you know, cyber actors in this case. Yeah, and clearly there's generational history with Ukraine and Russia, and there are, I'm sure there are thousands of friends and family and relatives in Russia of, of Ukrainian citizens. Many of those are also in the hacking community and probably are taking a stand against Russia saying, hey, you know, we're happy to attack the U.S., but you're going after friends and relatives in Ukraine you know, that's not going to, we're not going to stand for that. So we're coming after, we're coming after Russian state government. Yeah. And to your point, um, you're now, you're, you're now playing, uh, what is it? Uh, double agent, if you will. Yeah. And so some of these hackers are now saying, Hey, we're, we're not going to stand for this. So we're going to turn our efforts on focusing our attacks against the Russian government. If you're looking for protection from uncontrolled access, Salto can deliver the perfect solution, tailored to your exact requirements to provide you with all the security, convenience, and control you need. With Salto, you install access control in a wire-free environment, so there's no need to hardwire the building. Because Salto works on a virtual network, 
you can enroll or replace a lost key within seconds, making reprogramming and rekeying a problem of the past. See how Salto can make your access control and building security simpler and safer at vlcmtech.com salto. That's vlcmtech.com s-a-l-t-o. There's plenty to keep you up at night, but with so many remote workers, IoT devices, and multiple clouds, it's hard to balance keeping everyone productive while keeping the network secure. With Aruba's Edge Services platform, you don't have to choose between delivering network performance or closing security gaps. Learn how Aruba's SASE and Zero Trust framework can help you deploy network security services how and where you choose. Get the facts by visiting vlcm.com slash edge. That's vlcm.com slash edge. During Russia's invasion into the Crimean Peninsula in 2015, the Ukrainian government was attacked with malware uh, that was designed to you know wipe out data. Uh, there was a different attack that took, uh, took down the power grid for about a quarter of a million people, give or take. Um, so how do those types of um, test efforts factor into this? Like that, that shows, I suppose, that Russia at least has the capability to do that. And I, to some extent, once you're in the country and you've taken over a nuclear power plant and you've done various things like that, you have uh, a more hands-on control of some infrastructure. But I, I think it, it probably does have to factor into the strategy from both sides to say, hey, they have this capability and we have to be prepared that they might be able to uh, take down some part of our infrastructure that they haven't physically reached yet. And so you you really are fighting uh, the war then on an additional front saying, hey, we've talked about cyber warfare for a long time. It's always been defensive and someone's not on our borders. This is an interesting example of how do you continue fighting that sort of borderless war uh, without while there is a war going on inside your borders as well. Yeah. And I think uh, the Ukrainian government learned a, a lesson from that um, attack that took out the power grid. And I would, I would imagine that they're well prepared for a similar attack because clearly whether it's war or not uh, taking out the power grid would have a significant impact on, on any country. And I, you know, again, I feel confident that the Ukrainian government is prepared for that type of attack, considering it's happened in the past. Again, they have some very experienced, you know, white hat hackers working for the, the government as well, as well as black hat hackers. And so I feel like they're prepared. What I'm worried about is the, the U S we've talked about this before our, our power grid, our infrastructure is very, very vulnerable um, to a temporary, and I'm not going to say long-term because clearly uh, once a power grid has been taken out, there uh, there is redundancy there to restore the power. But, you know, anytime you take out a power grid for an hour or a day, it's going to have a significant impact. And my concern is more on the uh, the U.S. power grid and the U.S. US infrastructure because it's been clearly uh, defined that there are vulnerabilities within our own infrastructure and power grid. So that's really where my concern lies. Yeah. Are there many differences uh, or is there a lot of similarity in the cybersecurity practices of European countries, 
Um, you know, does, does Ukraine handle cybersecurity in a way that's vastly different than the way the rest of the world does or the way that we approach it in the United States? Or is it sort of a common, a common language, common practice, common philosophy across the globe? I, I just have never really given that a whole lot of thought. So, uh, well, just, well, <laughs> maybe we'll, nobody we'll, has, I don't know. <laughs> we'll look at Russia. Russia again is outsourcing both white yeah. hat and black hat. Um, you know, why build this huge infrastructure and train people when you can just reach out to a pool of experienced hackers and say, hey, we want you to attack the U.S. and we want you to protect our infrastructure, um, something that the U.S. hasn't adopted. I mean, there have been talks about working with the hacking community, but the U.S. has been for the longest time and continues to build their own infrastructure. Uh, yes, they're ha they're hiring talented individuals, but you know, again, they're not relying on that uh, white hack hack white hack hacker hacking community that rely that resides in the U.S. to say, "Hey, we need your help." Um, now, I have heard as recently as uh, well six months ago to a year ago. The U.S. government has been considering reaching out to the white hack hacking community to seek assistance, but I don't think there's been um, significant steps in that direction. So that's the clear differentiation between like Russia and the U.S. is they're they're relying on the experience of that community. The U.S. is basically building its own infrastructure and training its own people. Yeah. And when we talk about these sort of outsourced groups that the Russians would use, that's not like a volunteer type situation. They're essentially saying, hey, we're going to pay you to go do this. Is, is that the correct assumption? Yes. Okay. Yep. So if they're paying for it and, you know, suddenly there are sanctions that have been crippling the Russian economy and, you know, the ruble is now worth something like eight cents or, you know, it's essentially worthless in the, in the world market. Does that uh, factor into Russia's ability to, to pay for these types of services? And does that potentially hurt their ability to go and uh, do what they had planned to do? Well, again, I think you're going to see a lot of the uh, black hack hackers in Russia. A lot of them are going to def defect to the other side because they don't support the war effort. But to your point, there are still quite a few hacking groups that are supporting the, the Russian initiative, the war in Ukraine. Uh, and they're going to ask for a different type of uh, compensation. You know, Bitcoin um, is not being impacted like the ruble is. Clearly, it has taken a hit, um, just like the U.S. stock market has, but it still has value or greater value than the ruble. And so I'm sure these hackers have, you know, switched their compensation requirements and just said, hey, pay us in Bitcoin. And I'm sure many of them have been paid in Bitcoin in the in the past. So. I, I don't see that being an impediment to huh. continuing to contract with these yeah. with the hackers. But I suppose that at a minimum, the ability to use rubles to buy cryptocurrency uh, is compromised because you got to have something of value to go buy. You either have to mine it or you have to buy it. And at the moment, you're fighting a war, so you probably don't have a whole lot of resources to go mine it. Um, you know, you certainly can't do it uh, any quicker than you could have before. And then buying it doesn't seem to be all that practical when 
you know, you, your currency is not worth anything. So unless yeah, someone's saying cost the Russian government a lot more to buy cryptocurrency now than it, than it would prior to the war. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I suppose if you're, if you're being sort of a speculative investor as a hacker, you would say, yes, just give me more of the, of the rubles that aren't worth anything. And when we win, maybe the ruble comes back in some way and they end up making more off of it. I'm not really here to be the financial advisor to the hackers. So I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I, I just think it's interesting that, you know, you've got to pay for this. It, it, that, that's a downside, right? If you're outsourcing your workforce in that sense, um, you are paying them, right? It's different than, Hey, these are, this is the military and they'll get paid when we tell them to get paid and they're sort of locked in. If these, especially if the hackers aren't, in Russia, if they're just sort of, you know, they may be sympathetic to the Russians or uh, find themselves in some other part of the world, um, money would talk, right? So if you can't pay me, suddenly I'm out and that can compromise your uh, ability to uh, to make some progress. So one thing that I read, and I don't know, uh, you know, I read it on the internet, so it must be true, uh, but I'd love to know if, if you've heard something similar uh, when it comes to information attacks, right, that Russia has been known to, uh, you know, meddle in U.S. politics and try to create some division and just unrest a just a little bit. It's a hobby. <laughs> um, but that since they've been, uh, you know, hit with sanctions, since they've been uh, had their attention turned elsewhere, um, and since there's sort of been other other types of crackdowns, that a lot of the Russian uh, bots – uh, may have been impacted in what they're able to do or what they're focusing on doing with, you know, social media and um, trying to sort of manipulate people in the United States. And I, I'd seen some reports that said that if you looked at the traffic, um, the, the, the likes, the retweets, the shares on Facebook and Twitter and such uh, of like the far right um media outlets or, you know, personalities or even just accounts where there was someone who had built up some type of audience that suddenly, uh, since the invasion, their, their influence has been hindered, right? That they're, they're suddenly not getting the same number of shares, likes, retweets, uh, presumably at least was the, the general idea of the story that, uh, suddenly these, this Russian help that was, artificially inflating their influence or pushing it out to a broader audience was no longer there. And suddenly their ideas didn't seem so popular. Now, it also might be that, you know, you decide that it's not the best time to uh, make your case for your views while there's a war going on. So there's a number of factors that could be going into it. But I thought that was an interesting element that, you know, if you wanted to see if there was the presumption that uh, there was Russian meddling in uh, U.S. policy just on trying to influence the, the, the voter block or influence people in the United States and using bots. And suddenly that went away, whether it's bots or whether it's like, a, you know, an actual person who's helping push the effort and their attention's turned elsewhere. And suddenly that goes away. I just thought that was interesting that there would be a shift, uh, a noticeable or reported shift in those types of numbers. So I wonder what you think about that. Well, I think Russia's been very successful with its disinformation campaigns. Um, they have uh, clearly, um, they're very sophisticated and um, they have a lot of experience with disinformation uh, attacks and they've been doing this for, for decades um, and they've got a lot of experience. And so this decrease in this type of information with regards to the war who who knows what the the true cause of that is but clearly if they if the russian government wanted to 
create a disinformation campaign with regards to the Ukrainian war, I, I don't think they'd have any problems continuing to do that. Yes, there are ways to uh, slow those disinformation campaigns down and, and mitigate them, but the Russians have found ways, or the Russian uh, the Russian government has found ways around that, and the hacking groups have found ways yeah. around that, and so I'm not really too sure what what the causes of that drop in in with respect to that particular subject. Yeah. Um, last question, and then we'll uh, let you get out of here and move on with your day. But uh, what do you expect to see? What should we keep our eye on as this continues to unfold in Ukraine as it relates to uh, cyber warfare or information warfare, depending, I suppose, on which way you're looking at it? But what what are some things that you're uh, keeping an eye out for that you're particularly interested in, in looking at? So there was a successful attack against the Brownsville Public Utility Board. And the attack came from the uh, group Lockbit, and they basically um, they're basically threatening to release all of the Brownsville public information if they don't pay the ransom. And that was uh, as of Monday. Now that's a pretty significant attack, and we'll continue to see those type of attacks. Um, so far, with the minor of exception of a couple examples, uh, the U.S. U.S. companies have fared fairly well. But I don't, I don't see any, uh, I, I don't see those attacks uh, decreasing. I, in fact, I, I fully anticipate those types of attacks will continue to increase. DDoS, we've seen an increase in DDoS attacks. We've seen an increase in ransomware attacks, and those will definitely continue to increase um, as long as the the uh, war continues in the Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, it's an unfolding situation. It's one that the whole world is watching with great interest. We appreciate you lending us some of your expertise to better understand what might, what might be happening on the uh, cyber warfare side of all this. Uh, as uh, you know, we watch the horrific images and just know that there's a battle being waged on a whole other front that is uh, sometimes more difficult to see and track, but is certainly there. Uh, Dan, Skyler, thanks so much for your time and your expertise. And we'll always, as always, we love having you on the show. Thanks, Marty. Appreciate it. That'll do it for this episode. I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at VLCM.com. That's VLCM.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and our friends at Secuvant. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can hit us up on Facebook as well. We want to hear from you in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week, and stay safe online.